How can a Christian know if what they hear isn't lining up with the Bible? So if people are having a hard time discerning what's scripturally accurate, I would say the answer is make sure you're stuck and saturated in scripture to the point where you recognize the counterfeit when it comes. Like, let me just throw this out to you. When's the last time in America, and I don't watch TV, so, but, you know, if, if I'm visiting somewhere or something like that, or every now and then someone will talk to me about a show, but, but when's the last time that you uh, saw on national television in any, any television show or series a family sitting down and reading the Bible or studying God's Word together? But just a generation ago, okay, culturally that was acceptable. I know when I was a kid, you know, we would watch um, the Waltons, and we would watch, uh, you know, Little House on the Prairie. We would watch Andy Griffith. And the thing that was, was prevalent in our culture is you would hear things about God, and you would see, you know, Andy sitting there referencing Scripture to Opie, or you would see, you know, the angels praying over their meal and studying the Word of God. That was just culturally accepted in the norm. But here we are a generation away and, and, and it's, it's oblivious. It's gone. And then churches, unfortunately, you know, the way that we have a lot of our ministries and churches set up, it, it just contributes to the same problem. You know, there's a scripture that says, parents train up a child in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Okay. Well, that mandate from God is to the parent to train up their child. But what do we do in our culture? Well, we're so busy, you know, and we get home and we watch TV and we do all this. But what we do is we replace the responsibility from God and the mandate on God for the parents to train up a child in the way of the Lord and open up the Bible and break down Scripture and teach your kids how to pray and stand on the Word of God. What we do now is we just drop them off a youth group and we put that responsibility on a youth pastor. And in a lot of cases, it's no more than a movie and popcorn. So our kids get through the, this this Christian routine that we take them through, and then they get to college, and they're hit with the real world, and they're hit with some uh, professor who who is, you know, anti-Scripture, and they, they just go right into it, you know, because we we have removed the responsibility before the Lord to train up our child in the ways of the Lord so that, what? When they're old, they won't depart from it. Mm. Well, you know, it... Let's talk a little bit about the seeker-friendly churches and the damage that they are doing to Christians that who don't really know Jesus yet. Yeah. So, so here's the here's the thing, you know, and it's kind of like I'm going back to, um, you know, the illustration of the counterfeit and the real. You know, one of the, the one of the problems is is that when I say the term cultural Christian. Okay, let me give you a good de definition of what I mean. I've been using that term, you know, since the early 2000s. And I, you know, sometimes I'll say something like that. I just assume everybody knows what I'm talking about. But what, let me define cultural Christian. What I mean by a cultural Christian is, is that, that your definition of Christianity is not defined scripturally, but it's defined by how the culture defines Christianity. Okay. So, for example, you know, right now, I'll give you a, a thought. Right now, the big uh, social media term is identify, right? So-and-so identifies 
uh, as a male and they're really a female. You know, we just had this big thing nationally with this collegiate um, swimmer who was a biological male and he, he identifies as a female and he just won the top award for swimming and it's all over social media, it's all over the media, everybody's talking about it, all kinds of people are all upset. Well, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm more upset with the, the people that identify as a Christian. They, they, so they're a Christian in word only. They're a Christian in term only. They wear the cross. They wear the T-shirt. Uh, they, they, they got the Jesus bumper sticker on their thing, but their lives don't match the DNA of having the blood of Christ in their life because they're not born again. They're only identifying as a Christian. So, like, they're a Christian in term only. I was just reading um, yesterday in my, my Bible study time, 2 Kings, and uh, I believe it's chapter 17 around verse 33. Um, God was addressing the people groups that had infiltrated the area of Samaria. And he says that the, the scripture 33 says, they feared the Lord, but they served their own God. They feared the Lord, but they served the gods after the manner of the nation that, that they had come out of. So, so that's what happened. It, it, we're not exclusively serving God. We're, we're kind of serving God culturally, but we're still full of, of, of idolatry. We still have compromise. We're still blended. You know, people ask me, well, then what is the definition of Christianity then? Like, what is the authentic? And I'm going to tell you personally, there's a lot of scripture, but personally, I believe that the most accurate definition of Christianity is found in 1 John chapter 2. And that scripture says that the man who says, I know Jesus, all right? Now think about that. The man who confesses, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. The scripture says the man who says that and makes that declaration but does not obey the word of God is a liar and the truth is not even in him. And then the scripture goes on to say the way we know that we've come to know God is that if we obey his command. Now I'm going to give you a quick Greek lesson on the word no. The word no in the Greek is the word gnosko. The word gnosko is literally translates intimacy. It's the term between a husband and a wife in intimate relationship. That's the word for Greek. So let me take you to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 verse 21 says, Jesus is talking about the end of time. He's talking about judgment day. And he says, on that day, many, not just a couple, not just one or two, but Jesus says, many people on that day, on judgment day, will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we lay hands on the sick? You know, didn't we go to church? Didn't we have the bumper sticker? Didn't we watch uh, all 13 episodes of Chosen this season? Didn't we do all of this Christian stuff? And Jesus says, I will look at them plainly and say, I never knew you. Okay? That word where Jesus says, I never knew you, that's gnosko. He said, look, you were doing Christian stuff. You were going through a Christian motion. You were doing culturally Christian stuff. But Jesus said, I don't actually know you. The intimacy is not there. You're just going through the motion. And, and I, think that, I, I think that's one of the problems there. You know, another portion of Scripture says, 
that we're, we can't be hearers of the word only, but we have to be doers. Because if we're only hearing it and confessing it, but we're not doing it, that scripture says we're actually deceiving ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you get an opportunity to worship God in the way that we need to worship him. Mm-hmm. And, and it right there, it goes to show you what a heart of a Christian needs to be. Stop overlooking the people that need your help in your, mm-hmm. in your area. Stop thinking that just going to church on Sunday is going to, you know, that's all it is. It, you yeah. got to put into, into action. Can you speak into that a little bit? Well, you know, truth of the matter is, you know, in America, you know, if you're trying to grow a church and grow a ministry and take up big offerings, Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, you know, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's probably not going to grow your church because you're asking, you're, you're asking people to give up their life. You're asking people to die. You're asking people to take up their cross daily. You know, A.W. Tozer once said that the one thing you knew about a man who was walking down the road carrying a cross is that he wasn't coming back. Mm. You know, and the problem is, is that, you know, I always like Romans 12. It says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You know, back in the Old Testament, when they sacrificed an animal, they would lay it on the altar and they would have to tie it up. They would have to bind it up and make sure it didn't jump up down off the altar so it could be sacrificed. Well, that's not the calling of God on our life. We're called to offer ourselves to the living sacrifice. That means we climb up on the altar and we lay there and we surrender every area of our life, our finances, our time, our energy, our money, our affection, every single thing is laid down on the altar to God for him to do with whatever you want to do. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't grow a big church. I'm going to tell you, I've pastored before, and if you preach messages like that, you're not going to have thousands of people flocking in um, to, to be a part of hearing that week after week after week. But the truth of the matter is, it, it's scripturally accurate. We're called to take up our cross daily to follow him. We're called to, at times, um, you know, abandon mother, father, brother, sister for the sake of the, the kingdom. What did Jesus say? The man who puts his hand to the plow and moves forward and, and then begins to look back behind him isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Again, these are the kind of messages that, that we need to be preaching um, in our pulpit. You know, Leonard Ravenhill, I don't know if you're familiar with who he is, but he was a, a, a kind of a prophetic revivalist kind of guy who, who spoke a lot about cultural Christianity back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And, you know, he said that one of the, the reasons that we have so many pygmies in the pews is because we have too many puppets in the pulpit. And, you know, I, I really just, you know, we, we need to challenge, you know, our pastors and the people that have an opportunity to preach the word of God to, to man, get alone with God and let him speak into your life and let his conviction, his power, and his presence hit you off so that when you step into the pulpit, you're bringing the fire and power and presence of God. If you study the revivals and, and, you know, what God has done in the past, even in America, you look at Jonathan Edwards. He preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Do you know that when he preached that message, the congregation literally felt like they were physically sliding into hell and people were grabbing a hold of the bottom of the pews 
holding on because the conviction of God was pointing out to them so much that they were separated from God. They physically could feel, people said they physically felt the flames of hell touching the bottoms of their legs, and people were crying out. When's the last time you heard about something like that happening in a church service somewhere? It's because a lot of our churches and a lot of our pastors have sold out to the gods of this culture, and we're not preaching the unadulterated word of God. Amen. You couldn't have said it any better. And pastors are extremely accountable to God because they're standing in a pulpit. So I hope they're all hearing what you're saying today because you, it is needed to hear. It is needed to hear. Do you believe that we are in the last days? <laughs> so, you know, here's my, <laughs> you know, people have asked me this question, you know, through the years, um, you know, they, 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 <laughs> they've asked me this, you know, it's like the whole um, pre-trib, post-trib, you know what I mean? Like, you know, are, are, do you believe we're before the tribulation, after the tribulation, you know, uh, I might be uh, oversimplifying it, but but I can tell you that we're we're closer to the last days than we were yesterday. And I also know that James four says that our life is but a mist and a vapor. That means our life is literally, you know, just think about a spray bottle. You spray a mist and it's here and it's gone. That's all of the opportunity and that's all of the life that we have available, you know what I mean? I mean, that's it. In view of eternity, that's all we get. And truth of the matter is, we're not even promised tomorrow. So, uh, you know, corporately, are we in the last days? I know certain things need to happen before Jesus comes back. I know part of it is, is that, that there needs to be revival in Israel. And, and Israel, there are people in Israel need to be crying out, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, I got news for you, that's happening. We have connections and ministries in Israel and native Sabra Israelis are coming to know Jesus. You know, I can tell you that, um, you know, that, that regardless of if we're living in the very, very last days, you know, the people that are listening to this and the people that are, are living and have an opportunity to consider it right now, truth of the matter is we're not promised tomorrow. So, you know, we need to do everything in our ability and, and that we can to not only evangelize and preach the gospel and get it up there, but we need to live like our life is a vapor because it is, you know, um, I, you know, if I, if I can just say, you know, our country desperately needs an outpouring of the power and presence of God. We need a move of God. And I'm not talking about something that's manufactured by men I'm not talking about something that we can plan and, and put on a calendar and say God's doing such and such on this event to come. I'm not talking about some revival service that we throw on the calendar. We need a genuine move of the power and presence of God to invade our cities and to invade our churches and to invade uh, our communities. You know, I, I'm just going to tell you, you know, Tozer also said that entertainment is the devil's substitute for the anointing of God. Look, the truth of the matter is this. If the power and presence of God was in our churches and our congregations, we wouldn't have to entertain people into the kingdom. We wouldn't have to offer them coffee and donuts and, and giveaways and give away cars and things like that. If, if the power and presence of God was moving, 
and there was genuine fire coming out of our pulpits and our congregations, holy fire. People are drawn to fire. You know, recently, just up on the mountain uh, here behind us, there was a big fire, a couple hundred acres burned, okay? Why are people calling me from all over the tri-state saying, hey, did you hear about the fire? You know there's a fire. Is it affecting you? What's going on with the fire? Because you don't have to advertise a fire. You don't have to market a fire. And the truth of the matter is, if we had the fire and the power and presence of God in our congregation, we wouldn't have to um, present cultural Christianity. We wouldn't have to water it down and blend it uh, with things that are acceptable because fire attracts people. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a student of revival and I'm a student of studying revival. And when you study like the Isle of Lewis and the Hebrides revivals, when the power and presence of God moved from that city, you had people like the Smith sisters and Duncan Campbell. So they're there praying and believing that God's going to pour out revival. And do you know that when God's presence moved on the Isle of Lewis, no one even was preaching to the people. They were at home. They were in their beds, they were at nightclubs, and they were at roller rinks and bowling alleys. They were out there doing these things. And the power and presence of God moved on the city in such a way that people were instantly convicted and they were recognized that what they had in their life, they were missing the power and presence of God. People flooded out into the streets at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning crying out, what must I do to be saved? They were running to the local sheriff's office because they knew he was a man of God, and they were they were like looking for an answer. No one preached to them. It was the power and presence of God moving upon a city. And I'm telling you, that's what we need. We need the power and presence of God to invade our cities. We need some pastors and some prayer groups and some people to just do what the Smith sisters did, not worry about putting together big programs but worry about crying out and asking God to move in his sovereignty and, and seeking the Lord that he would pour out his spirit and water on this dry, compromised land. Now, how can pastors get a hold of you to get this revival started? So um, what I would say is I, that's basically what I do um, to um, you know, make an income. And, you know, I'm an itinerant preacher. We're involved in a lot of different ministries. I will say, um, if you want to reach out to me, I would go to uh, either impartrevival.org. That's impartrevival.org. There's a YouTube channel also that's called Impart Revival, and that has a lot of uh, teachings and sermons and different things that I've done through the years as well. You know, when we look to come into a city or we look to come into a ministry or a church, um, I can tell you our number one priority is to pray with the leadership there and begin to saturate that area in prayer. Um, you know, if we go to speak somewhere, we take our team. I take a, a team of intercessors and prayer warriors to go with me. We're not coming in there to look to take up offerings. We're coming in there because we want to see the power and presence of God move on that congregation. We're just believing and praying one of these meetings, one of these times, God is going to pour out and spark fire for revival in our country. And, and if you're a pastor listening to this or you're a ministry somewhere and that's your heart too, reach out to us, man. Talk to me about it. Let us join with you in prayer and um, let, let's believe that God's going to move on this country again. Get more information and to buy the books Tactical Reformation and Pure Vessels, go to importrevival.org.
Thank you for watching the call. We hope you learned more about Jesus through this video. You can have a relationship with Jesus. Just invite him into your life. Repent of your sins, ask for forgiveness, and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Until next time, may the Lord be with you. For more information about this ministry, go to the call with nancysabato.com where we are leading you to Christ through stories and teaching.